just hearing Ray uh, share with us before, don't you want to add a me too to that prayer? That God would really do something awesome inside us and give us that power to be the witness that God wants us to be in the world today. Yeah, me too, please, Lord. I think God's really amazing, you know. The message I want to share with you this morning, he picks an engineer to bring it. And I think that's just typical of our amazing God. In, uh, in October 1999, Steve Durgis stood either here or there. Or, and it was either a morning or an afternoon, I didn't, an evening. I didn't make a note of which. And he said, it's time to stop playing games. And it's only struck me this morning when we were just sort of finally deciding on exactly what we were going to bring. That very often when we are youngsters and we get into relationships with boyfriends or girlfriends, it starts off as a lot of fun. And we grow and we, we learn to like each other and eventually one day we learn to love each other. And maybe one day we decide that we should stop playing games. And the relationship becomes, that awful word, serious. And one of the ways in which we move from playing games is that we get serious. And that's one of the things I wanted to, to do this morning, was take our relationship a little bit beyond wherever we might be. And we're all in different places. So wherever we are, I want you to hear it right where you are this morning. And I also want to say, I don't come with any answer that I know this morning because I'm not even living in what I'm going to share with you. Yeah, I feel a bit like Paul did in, in Philippians 3 where in a different context he said, not that I have attained to all this. Because I want to say to you now, I have not attained to all this that I want to share with you this morning. And we want to start off uh, with, with two scriptures. Sue's offered to read some scriptures for me, and uh, she's also going to share some bits with us as we go. And the first one really puts the Christian message right in its true context. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your, your hearts. And then Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, 
the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Yeah, so this is where we start from this morning. And what really struck me was the commands that God gave to the Old Testament people. Jesus reiterated them in the New Testament. So this is fundamental to our faith. And what really struck me was the very first half of the first command talks about love. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart. The very first word of the first half of the first command is the word love. And I've been struck over the last few months about a difficulty in English because there are two key words to what we believe and how we live out our lives. One is love and one is the word that we use for knowing or to know. And in both cases in English we have one word with many meanings and many contexts. And sometimes when we read scripture, as, as Willie so wonderfully does and Ray and Steve, is they have to give us the origins of the word in order that we know which particular version of the word was, was applicable in that particular statement. And in both of those commands, the word love that is used is that deep, intimate, personal, affectionate love. Love. Not an impersonal, unknowing love. Love. Of which there are a number of different sort of shades and grades. But we are talking here about a deep, personal, knowing love. The kind of love that exists between a husband and wife. The kind of love that exists in a deep, and personal relationship. So that's the kind of love that we're, we're talking about. And, and yeah, sometimes words get in the way in the English language, don't they? Because we have these, uh, these words with multiple meanings. And that's really something that I want you to grab hold of. We need to sort of be sure of what kind of love we're talking about. And we also need to be sure what kind of knowing we're talking about when we, t we, when we use the word know. So we'd like to read now uh, a little passage from Luke, which is Luke 10 and verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. <coughs> and this is really the, the origin of where this message started, because when I heard that scripture spoken to me many, many months ago, it's sort of something really deep happened inside me, and I suddenly started to think, why on earth would Jesus say, no one knows the Father except the Son? Why would he say of the Father, no one knows the Son? Sorry, the Father except the Son. And I started to really dig into that a bit. And it really sort of, 
it actually changed completely the way I read scripture from that moment. And I rushed home and I did again what Willie did, got the book out and had a look up the Strong's reference and found that this word knowing or the know that Jesus is talking about there is again that deep, intimate knowing. It's not just a fact that I know that two and two makes four on a good day. But it's that deep, intimate knowing. So they're the two sort of areas that we really want to focus in on this morning. And this particular Greek word, I think the, the best pronunciation I can do for it is gnoskio. And, and it means that deep knowing. And one of the uh, interpretations of it, in fact, in the Jewish language, it's actually used in the context of when it said that, you know, Adam knew Eve and, and they begat lots of kids. So it is just, I'm not using that to make any particular point, but just that we are talking here about a knowing which is rooted in deep, deep relationship. Now, that was a revelation for me, and it really changed the way I read what I read. And I started to read again, and I read it differently. And it meant different things to me. And it was just as if you know, the light had come on in my life. And I started to understand verses that I'd read many times before completely differently. So I want to plant that in your hearts this morning, that we're really talking about a very deep love and a very intimate knowing. And we want to read on now to another passage, which is um, in uh, Ephesians. And this is focusing in on the use of the word knowing again. This is Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So again, we're talking here now about an extent of knowing that even surpasses knowledge. It's a bit strange, isn't it? How do you know something that's beyond your ability to know in a different context? Well, I pondered on that for a while as well and thought, yeah, this must be really something different. This is obviously not something I can study into. This is not something I can be taught. This is not something I can acquire in any normal, learned way. This is a knowing that surpasses knowledge. This is a knowing that somehow has to happen to me. And I realized then that the only way we can really come into a knowledge of something which surpasses knowing, or a knowing that surpasses knowledge, is by revelation. And I think God is passionate to bring revelation to our hearts. 
I think God wants us to know that which is unknowable. His name is love. And I think he wants to take us on and on and on and on. And wherever you are, however much you've come to know, there's more. And God wants to take you on and reveal more. We then come to the final passage that we want to read that I think will put the whole thing in the context that we want to share with you this morning. This is Revelation 2, verses 1 to 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds like a pretty good church, doesn't it? Don't you wish you belonged to a church like that? They're out there doing all the work. They've got the message. They understand the truth. They're beavering away at it. They're working hard. And Jesus is giving them credit for what they're doing. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And that really, again, brings the thing into a, into a different kind of context. And what really struck me was this word forsake, which Jesus used. He says, you have forsaken. And I thought, well, you know, what does forsake mean? It's an old English word, isn't it? And it's not that regularly used. I don't suppose many of you have said forsake in the last week in your general conversation. But basically, my understanding of it, it means that I give up. I give up the right to. I stop. I resign my right. I give away my right. I forfeit my right. So what Jesus was saying here was that these were a great church in the modern understanding of what church is all about. But they had given away, renounced, rejected their first love. But they were still busy. They were still at it. They were still doing the work. So I sort of thought, well, you know, perhaps they'd, they'd, they'd lost the purpose. They'd lost the focus. They'd got stuck into duty and into good works and they'd got really wrapped up in all of that kind of thing. But they'd actually foregone and forgiven and let go the very reason that they came to Christ in the first place. They lost their first love. 
And Jesus held it against them. So this is, this is an important thing. This is not something we can rush past at 90 miles an hour and, and get on to the next bit and read the other six letters to the churches. This is something we need to just dwell on a bit. Jesus was really rebuking this church, pulling them up short. I hold this against you. So it's an important thing. And I think we need to take stock of the fact. And again, wherever we are in our, in our walk with Christ, are we in that place of fullness of relationship and fullness of love? Well, we've established that we can move into a, a knowing of God that surpasses knowledge. We've established that this love relationship that Jesus is talking about and the Father is talking about is a deep and intimate love relationship. Bible says to me that what I should do is first seek the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says to me that the great commandment that we read before comes before the great commission. It seems as if I need to know and love the Lord my God with all my heart. Not my head, my heart. I'm pretty good with my head. But not a lot of it does the last 18 inch trip. It takes longer to do that last 18 inches than it does to get from ear to ear with me. So I have to really hear what I'm saying this morning. God really wants this to be an affair of the heart. And he wants us to get into that place of knowing the love that he has for us. If we begin to get into that place where we let the love of God dwell in us richly, I think it'll change us externally. It'll change what comes out of our mouths. It'll even change us in appearance terms. I think somebody once said to Sue, when I first became a Christian in 1991, some months later a lady who used to work in the same building as us said, he actually looks different. Right? Perhaps what she was saying was the ugliness within was showing without. Perhaps what we need to do is get some of the goodness within and then it shines out. Yeah, so there you are. can even change how you look. Yeah. Perhaps you need to keep going down that road a bit, don't I? <coughs> yeah. Once we're knowing that love, I think once we start entering into the knowing... I think God starts to reveal more and more, and it's by revelation. That's how you get to know what you can't learn, by revelation. And you have to put yourself in the place of revelation. And how do you put yourself in the place of revelation? Well, you have to put yourself in the place of blessing. Sue and I started to think at this point about, you know, what did Jesus say when he rebuked the Ephesian church? He said, repent. Wow. Do you struggle with repentance? I do. Say, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. I've been proud. I've been independent. I've forgotten the first love. In repentance, we very often have to do quite a bit of humbling, don't we? When my people humble themselves. 
Because to be repentant, you need to be humble. And you need to be prepared to admit you've got it wrong. And say it. He also told them what to do about it. He said, do the things you did at first. So again, I want to encourage you, where I, wherever you are on your walk with God, whether you're a new believer, an established believer, whether you've been at it for years, I want to ask you to reconnect back with the things that you did in the former days, in the first days. That was Jesus' answer for the church in Ephesus. Repent and do the things you did in the former days. And Sue and I got to thinking about when we were courting and the things we used to do when we were courting. (laughs) And, yeah, again, I'm an engineer. I'm an eminently practical guy. I can do all kinds of practical things. I'm not very good with the emotional stakes. I'm not very good with the heart stakes, but God's doing a work in there and he's softening up this swinging brick in my chest. But I can remember when I first fell in love with Sue, I couldn't wait. The days were just eternities getting through work to get to five o'clock and get home and get washed and scrubbed up and have to shave and then, you know? And it was all I wanted to do was to, was to be with Sue. It became a passion. I really loved her and wanted, 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 wanted to be with her every minute of every day. But I had to go home and go back to work the next day. And yeah, do you remember being in love like that? I was going to do a Murray Chevalier bit, you know, falling in love again. (laughs) But we won't go too far down that road. Yes, Uh, yes. these thoughts were coming to me in the morning service, so I haven't really had a chance to share them with Alan, but they're very similar to what he's saying. Um, Do you remember longing to be alone together? I was thinking when um, Roz was singing. Do you remember when you were first a Christian? Do you remember longing to be alone with the Lord together? Because it does parallel our married relationships so often. And that can be sad for some of us because we've forgotten what it's like to be alone together because it's one of the most precious things. And when somebody else says they are come along as well, particularly when you want to be together in a courtship thing, it's a real pain, isn't it? And you want to be alone together. And I was thinking about that in our relationship with God. And I guess for me personally, there isn't any other place that I want to be than alone with God. That's the best place. I prefer that to being with, <laughs> with the body even. I just want to be alone with him. I want to be in his arms. I want to feel the beating of his heart. Mm. Last evening, we were at a 25th wedding anniversary celebration of one of my distant cousins. And as we were stood in the queue for the food, as you do at these restaurants, um, one lady said to us, Who are you? Who do you belong to? And I thought, hmm, well, she's never going to understand because she's on the other side of the family and this is too difficult to explain. And then this morning I was thinking those thoughts through and I thought, 
you know, one day we're going to be at a celebration, aren't we? We're going to be at the feast for the bride and the lamb. And we're going to be the bride of Christ. Nobody's going to have to ask us, who are we? Because that's who we're going to be. And I was thinking, gosh, what a place to be. What a relationship to have. And I guess love will go to, to any limits, won't it? Tomorrow morning, my daughter Lisa is, um, is coming from Turkey at, and she's arriving at 5.15 at Birmingham, thankfully Birmingham Airport. And uh, we won't see each other for about five weeks. And she said, Mom, if you just picked us up from the airport, her and her husband, and just gave us a lift, it's about 10 miles to where their car is at Blakedown. We could just see each other for a few minutes before you go off on your holiday. And at first I said, no, no, I'm not going to get up in the morning. And then as the time went on, I said, yes, I am. It's worth every minute to get up in the morning and see you for 20 minutes. And I guess that's all about our relationship with Jesus, isn't it? You know, do we seek out this special appointments, as Alan was saying the other day? Do we even call it a date? You know, let's find that time with him. Mm. Let's worship him. There's one little reading I'd like to do. It's very brief because I'm aware that the time's gone and then I'll go back to Alan. Um, I don't know if you, any of you have heard of the author Philip Yancey. Um, something he writes, I'm just only going to read the end of it for time. Um, Philip was asked the question, do you ever just let God love you? This lady asked him. I realized with a start, Philip says, that she had brought to light a gaping hole in my spiritual life. For all my absorption in the Christian faith, I had missed the most important message of all. The story of Jesus is the story of a celebration, a story of love. It involves pain and disappointment, yes, for God as well as for us, but Jesus embodies the promise of a God who will go to any length to win us back. Not the least of Jesus' accomplishments is that he made us somehow lovable to God. Mm. Yeah. So, it is a relationship. It is a courtship. It is one that, if we allow it, can go deeper and deeper and deeper. We met another couple at this same do we went to last night, but sort of a year ago, another family celebration, and we met this couple who were probably in their 60s, and they just shared as an aside that their relationship had just got better and better and better as the years go on. And I think that's what Jesus has in store for us. That's his heart's desire that we should enter in and keep entering in deeper and deeper and deeper. It's all about a love story. And at the end, the guy gets the gal. And the guy is Jesus. He's the Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth. And the gal is you and me. If you're willing to become part of the Bride of Christ, and the love is no less strong in fact, I think it's awesomely deeper, wider, higher and stronger than we could ever begin to imagine. 
because we're limited by what we know, we're limited by our experiences. We don't have the power and the brain capacity, the heart capacity, to even begin to understand the fullness of love that God has for us. But he can plant that within us. You can't study it, you can't learn it, you can't acquire it by any other way than by revelation from the very heart of God. To do that, you need to put yourself in the place where that revelation can come. You also need to just recognize that there may be some things that stand in the way. And one of the little funnies that I heard a guy say some time ago was uh, paralleled by the expression that if you're human and you've grown up on this earth, and I think probably most of you here this morning did or have or are, then you've been hurt, you've been disappointed, you've been let down, you've been betrayed, you've had the dirty done on you from time to time. And those things will have put calluses on your heart, obstacles in your mind, obstructions into being open. And they stand also, not between us and the people who might hurt us on earth, but they also stand between us and our Father in heaven. They stand between us and Jesus. And sometimes we have to come to a place where we say, yeah, Father, I know there's something missing. I know there's more here than I'm making contact with. If there's anything in me that's standing in the way, I want you to reveal it to me. I want you to heal it. Because he wants a bride. He doesn't want a bride who arrives in her overalls on that last day. He wants a bride who arrives spotless and clean and glorious and without wrinkle or blemish. And those wrinkles and blemishes and and spots that affect all of our lives, Jesus is keen, eager, enthusiastic to work with you and clean them up on the way. Get rid of the spots, get rid of the blemishes, get rid of the wrinkles, so that on that day he'll come to a pure and spotless bride. He wants us loved back to wholeness, and he's the guy to do it. But you have to do it by spending time with him. There is only one way to build an intimate relationship, and that's set the time aside. Um, Sue said that we were thinking the other day about you know how you do this, and I've got to confess, Sue's far better at it than I am. She sets the time aside, and she spends it with God, and you can see. You can see. I'm awful. I'm always too busy. You know, I get to bed too late. I need to get up and rush off to work. And, but I know that on those occasions when I make that, that sacrificial time and put it aside, a Saturday afternoon, an early morning, you wake up at five o'clock and you can either turn over and go back to sleep or you can get up and go and spend it with the Prince of Eternity. And that's where he meets you. That's where he spends time with you. That's how you grow an intimate relationship. You have to invest the time. You have to put yourself in the place of blessing. As Jesus said to the Ephesians, do the things you did at first. If Sue had rung me up at five o'clock in the morning when we were courting and said, let's go for a walk, I wouldn't have said, sorry, duck, I'm turning over. I'd have been out there like a shot. (laughs) so it's all to do with where we are in our hearts isn't it and what we wanted to do this morning was just really stare up those former things 
stir them up in your hearts, persuade you to set the time aside, remind yourselves how wonderful the Prince of Light, Jesus, the Bridegroom, is. And you know, as you begin to realize how wonderful he is, he'll change how you think of yourself. And you'll begin to think differently about how you are. That's really all that we wanted to share with you this morning. It's a vitally important thing. I think it's foundational to what we want to do. It's all rooted in love. It's not rooted in duty. It's not rooted in compulsion. It's not rooted in rules. It's not rooted in any kind of legalistic framework. It's to do with love. It's to do with a love affair between you and the creator of the universe. The whole reason that Jesus came and walked this earth and did what he did was in order that people like you and I could have a chance to find out what his father was like. Do you remember back in those scriptures that we read? No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. I believe what Jesus was saying in those verses to us was none of you, and I'm saying that to all of you, and I'm saying it to me, you haven't got a clue what Father God is like. Jesus came and he knew. And he knew for the joy set before him scorned the cross because it was worth it for him and for you. He did everything he did for the love of you and for the love of his Father. And we need to get back in touch with that. When he comes back again, he comes back to collect his bride. And it's up to you where you are, how ready you are, and what condition you're in. But he also wants to love life back into you, into you right now. However many more days you have on this earth, Jesus wants to love you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to come and spend time with him. He wants you to be like somebody who is prepared to enter back into a spirit of courtship and have that zeal start to fire up in your hearts again. And that brings us to the point where we're going to come now before the Lord. And we're going to remember him. Because that's what he said. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you.